Our scripture reading today comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known by God. And, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worse, wor worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard of and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, not now at last, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The word of God for the people of God. This Sunday we're talking about, if you haven't noticed, thankfulness. Oh, appropriate. <laughs> So I thought, you know, I thought naturally, I thought off, start off talking about things I'm not thankful for. Things I'm not thankful for. I've, uh, I've shared this before. I am not thankful that McDonald's is getting rid of drink stations. <laughs> there was an article I read a month or two ago about how they're phasing out all drink stations by 2034 or something. And there's a new McDonald's right down the street from me being built. And... Like, what's the point of going when they're going to fill up your drink three-quarters full of ice and then give you a little soda? I mean, what's the point? The other one I'm not thankful for is I experienced this this morning driving down I-25. And this is, I'm really not thankful for this. And I'm going to, I might step on some toes here. But I am not thankful for people who pass me on the right in traffic. Can we agree passing on the right is, that's a no-no. Like, I'm a safe driver. I drive at or above the speed limit, and I, I leave enough space to stop if I need you. Yet, whatever happens, whatever, and I try to pay attention. If you're behind me and you want to pass me, I'll move over to the right. Literally this morning, I was hanging out in the middle lane going 65 through Denver, which is a 55, right? So I'm not just, not just taking up space. I see someone move over to the right, right when I move over to the right, and sure enough, they go around me on the left. So... If you're behind me, I'll move over, okay? I'm not thankful for that. And lastly, thankfully, I shouldn't say thankfully, but fortunately, whatever, right? This has changed in recent weeks. But I am not thankful for all the Russell Wilson bashing. And thankfully, this has changed in recent weeks. We'll see what happens tonight, right? Uh, but my, my philosophy is, like, leave him alone. Like, he's a good guy. Like, leave him alone. Leave him alone. All these people, like, you know, making fun of how he 
hangs out with his wife or his personality, just leave him alone. I'm not thankful for that. But you know the thing that I'm sometimes the least thankful for? What I'm sometimes the least thankful for is the Bible. Let me elaborate. What we just read this morning from the Apostle Paul, Rejoice in the Lord always. Do not worry about anything. Be content in all circumstances. I am not appreciative of those words. When I am mistreated, offended, even insulted, I want to stay in that rage and frustration, not simply to let it go and thank God. I think it's fair to say that most of us, if not all of us, want to increase pleasure and minimize pain. But the truth is that suffer, suffering is inevitable, inescapable. This isn't to say that suffering and injustice should be overlooked or ignored, but rather, sometimes suffering is just part of life, part of our contract with the world, part of being human in this life. And according to one source, it's really important as human beings to develop our capacity to deal with thoughts and emotions in a way that isn't a struggle, rather to embrace them and be able to learn from them. As a society of late, we seem to be in a time where any sort of pain or struggle can be dismissed as toxic or dysfunctional or discriminatory. And sometimes it is. I don't want to dismiss that. Sometimes it is. But oftentimes also we have little control over what is happening. And the only thing we can control is how we respond to the situation. Let me give you an example from my own life. Because, I mean, if, if I've learned anything, it's that straight white males giving prescriptions for who and what should be offended. Not a good track record of that, right? <laughs> So I'll share from my own life. My name, for those unfamiliar, is Lauren, a rather unorthodox name for a man. And in my life, I've met far more female Laurens than male Laurens, right? Now, for a while, I would simply tell people, oh, I have the male spelling of Lauren, L-O-R-E-N. And that was great until I met several female Laurens, also spelled L-O-R-E-N. A couple years ago, I did some research on Ancestry.com and found out that I have a past relative who is named Lauren, who died tragically in a swimming accident. And when I found this, I asked my dad, I said, hey dad, were you named after this relative? Sure enough, my dad, Lauren Sr., was named after this relative, and I, being my father's son, was named Lauren Jr. Growing up, however, I did hear again and again, even into adulthood, Oh, you have a girl's name. And, you know, there's that. Often when people spell my name, they often misspell it, L-A-U-R-E-N. When telemarketers call me, they often assume I'm a female. It can be very annoying at times. Several years back, I was working for a, uh, a, a telephone bank. I won't say the name of the bank, but it was a big bank, customer service on the phone, right? And our bosses, you know, the overlords, judged our quality of employership, whatever, 
was often based on our call time, what we called our handle times. So basically, know this if you haven't already. When you call into customer service, if you can even get a hold of somebody for good grief, Xfinity. Oh my goodness, Xfinity. That's another non-thankful. <laughs> but when you call a customer service agent, their goal is to get you off the phone as quickly as possible in most instances. I guess Zappos, does anybody know Zappos? Like, if I'm remembering, like, they're famous, I think, for um, trying to actually treat their customers well. I mean, what a, what a concept. Uh, but anyway, most customer service agents, their goal is to get you off the phone as quickly as possible. So when I would say, hello, this is Lauren, thanks for calling such and such bank, people often be like, oh, what's your name? How do I spell that? And I'm just like, can we get on to your problem so I can hang on, hang up, right, and move on to my next call? So one, uh, it came to pass that I changed departments and I decided, you know what, I'm going to be known as Jack. <laughs> now, I don't have the name at all in my name, like my middle name is James. I should have been just been say, hey, maybe I've known my James, but you know, it's like it's a one syllable word, like Jack. So people could call it, say, hey, this is Jack, thanks for calling, and we'd move on. People would not have to know how to spell it, one question my gender, you know, it was just obvious, right? So obviously, the moniker of Jack did not outlive my time at this bank, and I sort of just sort of just made peace with the confusion and misidentification. This is fun. Recently, someone asked me if I pronounce my name Loren, sort of like Kyle Ren. So if you want to just call me Loren, that's, that's fine too, right? So I kind of realized like I could spend all my time being annoyed and offended, or I could just kind of grit my teeth and move on. Now, the latter, this gritting your teeth and moving on, does seem a bit dark and defeatist, putting up with you know, what some might call microaggression and moving on. But more and more mental health professionals are suggesting that this could be a better way rather than staying in a constant state of annoyance and aggrievance. What these folks are suggesting, they're beginning to use the term for anti-fragility. It's a bit of a clunky term, anti-fragility, but the basic idea is this idea of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, that there's some truth to that as harsh as it is, and it's the idea that humans, like other systems, we need to be tested in order to remain strong. The human body can weaken and atrophy without usage. You know, we go to the gym, testing our muscles to the point of soreness and fatigue in order to grow stronger, to keep ourselves in good physical condition. I'm sore right now this morning from working out yesterday at the gym. As one writer said, people figure out ways to cope and survive when they're forced to do so. If you acknowledge what you're going through and you recognize it's an obstacle, that it is a dark moment, but there is light at the end of the tunnel, then you can get through it. Writing some 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul shared from his experience as someone who had been through some rather serious stuff. He said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Do not worry about anything, and be content in all circumstances. It sounds a bit bright, too bright, too positive, too cheerful. 
We might think, oh, this is a guy with too much privilege who has never really faced hardship. Yet in another letter Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, Paul writes about his experience being in prison, being tortured, being near death. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he writes, Five times I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked for a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked, and beside other things, I'm under daily pressure because of my anxiety for the churches. I mean, that's some trauma right there, right? That's some trauma. Think about those words. Replay them in your mind when you think about these words he wrote that Andrew read this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests be known unto God. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. This is not... Brent Norwalk from season four, The Good Place, for those who remember that show. For those unfamiliar, Brent Norwalk, the character is the stereotypical straight, white, middle-aged male who knows nothing but privilege and prosperity his entire life. This is the Apostle Paul, a Middle Eastern man likely dealing with some sort of medical ailment or disability, who is a member of the, an oppressed religious community. It was him who had been through all sorts of challenging circumstances who was saying to thank God and be content in all things. Paul, it seems, was on to something that researchers today are only beginning to rediscover. Perhaps you've heard of the term neuroplasticity. From one description, neuroplasticity is the brain's capacity to continue growing and evolving in response to life's experiences. Neuroplasticity, then, is the ability of the brain to adapt or change over time by creating new neurons and building new networks. Historically, scientists believe that the brain stopped growing after childhood, but current research shows that the brain is able to continue growing and changing throughout our lifespans, refining its architecture or shifting functions to different regions of the brain. The importance of neuroplasticity then can't be overstated. It means that it's possible to change dysfunctional patterns of thinking and behaving and develop new mindsets, new memories, new skills, and new abilities. From another source, an increasing range of new empirical research, together with a reevaluation of older studies, has indicated that gratitude can improve well-being in two ways directly as a causal agent of well-being, and indirectly as a means of buffering against states, negative states, and emotions. Like there's a reason, there's a reason Paul wrote these words, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, whatever is good. If there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about those words again, and 
in response to neuroplasticity. And he wrote these words, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Neuroplasticity. And again, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Changing the brain through neuroplasticity, Paul was writing about, we might say. Gratitude changes the brain. Perhaps you're familiar with a book by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, a seminal work many of us have read, read in grad school and undergrad, perhaps. For those unfamiliar, Viktor Frankl became a psychologist, but he survived the Holocaust. And he writes about his experience literally in a German concentration camp. And he talks about, you know, there's not much that he could control throughout his day-to-day life. As hundreds, perhaps thousands of his campmates were being brutally murdered and killed, Frankel found that the folks who could find some kind of thing to hope for, some kind of purpose or meaning beyond the day-to-day suffering and atrocities that they faced, if they could find some reason to hope, those are the people that could survive. Those are the people that could keep going. In our day-to-day lives, I pray to God we'll never have to face a level of atrocity, evil, that Viktor Frankl faced. But we're all going to face times in our lives that will challenge us. And we have a choice in how we respond. Again, from personal experience, I can tell you what a difference it makes to try to be thankful for these words of Scripture, to try to be thankful for what we've experienced that day. For a while now, I began making a mental list at the end of my day when I'm going to sleep of things that I'm thankful for in that day. Sometimes my list is as short as the Jimmy John's number seven and pickle (laughs) that I had that day. I love Jimmy John's number seven. (laughs) Love it. But I find even when I think about being thankful for going to walk the Jimmy John's, enjoying the number seven in the pickle, that I can get to sleep. It's rather when I ruminate about my annoying coworkers or traffic or getting dinner on the table or circumstances, that's when I struggle going to sleep. You know, I remember the words of a contemporary of Paul, James, the brother of Jesus. He said, as I remember it, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces patience. Another verse of scripture that I struggle to be thankful for, right? But the more I thought about that scripture, I realized, like, it just goes with 
what Frankel is saying, what the Apostle Paul is saying. Like, we have to be able to come to terms and be thankful, find meaning and purpose in what we're experiencing in life. So I welcome you in this Thanksgiving week and beyond to try to be grateful in all circumstances, not because it's trendy or escapist, but because it works. When we can find gratitude in life, when we can find a meaning and purpose in life, not only do we shape our brain for the better, but I believe we'll also be closer to God and to one another. Be thankful. Amen.